This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello friends. You find me in my kitchen about to tuck into a pot of cup noodles that Big Zoo left here when he came over. I just found them in the back of the cupboard. They don't go off the dither. I have got the biggest smile on my face today because I've spent the morning listening to Britpop band Supergrass on repeat because very soon, and I can't believe I'm saying this, lead singer Gaz Coombs is coming round. An actual rock star. Supergrass formed in 1995. They hit the big time almost immediately. The late 90s saw them at their peak, much like Blur, Oasis, Tony Blair and Kukai Bootcut Jeans. Supergrass were huge, gracing countless magazine covers and winning a Brit Award and an Ivan Novello. These days, Gaz is a solo artist. He's on the cusp of releasing his fourth album and I can't believe that he was eating much during the height of Supergrass's fame, but I have heard he's a real foodie. So I want to know, what does a rock star like Gaz munch on when he's off stage, guitar's back in its case, and it's closing time at the venue? Right, better get these noodles eaten. Gaz Coombs, welcome to Comfort Eating. Hello, Grace. Thank you for having me. You really do listen to this. I do, yeah. My wife was listening to it in the bath last week. She was really chuffed when I said I was coming on. Oh. She was like, oh, great. I was listening the other day. It was brilliant. <laughs> Your song, All Right, was a mega hit, and I reckon it's one of the most played songs 
of all time. My favourite line being how you keep your teeth nice and clean. Now, as a restaurant critic, I'm very conscious of my teeth, all that chewing. Last thing I want when I meet somebody is some of the tender stem broccoli stuck in the left incisor. It's not a good look. As somebody who has immortalised the art of keeping pearly whites sparkling, my question is, what is your number one tip on effective toothbrushing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I'm unfortunately, I'm, I'm a smoker as well still, and I do drink a lot of coffee. So, And, I, and I'm not one of this, these celebs who's had their teeth done yet. Have you I, not I, had turkey I'm quite, teeth done? No, I'm sort of quite tempted. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was told by my dentist, don't go up and down because you kind of, you mess up your gums. Don't go up and down. We'll just go, try just and go down. Down, yeah, yeah, yeah. down, yeah. down, down, down. Well, I, yeah, I'd like to <laughs> so say. So a bit like stroking a cat. Mm-hmm. You don't go. Yeah, it's stroke like your teeth. Down, down, down. Yeah. So they say. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I'm giving advice on, on <laughs> teeth hygiene. I always ask my guests to bring me a comforting snack from home, something that warms them up when the days are cold. A friend in time of need. It's that magic moment. Unveil your snack. All right. Well, here we have. (gasps) I get so excited. We call it, the kids call it TPB. TPB. It's that popular. It's it's kind of been abbreviated. Tuna pasta bake. (gasps) Like the way my mum used to make it. And, um... Do you want me to do the tinfoil? Do it, bit? do it. Open the tinfoil. Sorry. Yeah. I am. Oh, oh look wow. at that. Hey, that looks great, doesn't it? Right, oh, guys. So really noisy. You are going into the list of guests who's made like a proper recipe. So you are up there with Sersha Monica Jackson no from Dairy Girls, who actually brought a proper recipe tuna pasta bake. It, it's got crisps on the top. Oh. Mm. <gasps> Right, I mean, there's a sort of, I don't know about how we sit with branding and stuff, but it has to be a specific crisp. Tell us. And I, w- I want you to tell me exactly what is in here. What's in there? I mean, it's it's really trashy. It's It was one of those kind of uh, things brought over uh, from America. We lived in the States when I was a kid for like three years. And so this was the 80s. So my mum was kind of, you know, very much into her kind of home cooking and, and um, the kind of American style. And you, this, you this serve was called, and tell me. This was called tuna noodle casserole in the America. Yeah. Yeah, so this was brought over from America and then just became a bit of a family favourite, you know? You've got those those huge pasta shells. Yeah, and then, oh yeah, it's got to be shells. They're, they're the ones to kind of, um, that's just kind of, you get all of the, it kind of you know, goes inside the shells and it's kind of all... The tuna has been quite, like, the tuna's quite mashed up, so you can't really see the tuna anymore. Well, that's because it's part of a a tin of Campbell's mushroom soup, condensed mushroom soup. So you kind of, you put a couple of those in and then you you, you, uh, sort of um, mix it down with milk. So it's obviously not really sort of thick and condensed. And then that's with fried onions and butter. (gasps) And then so you get this sort of fried onions, butter, Campbell's mushroom soup, milk vibe. Yeah. Then you chuck a tin of tuna into that and then just do the pasta and then cover it. And then mozzarella cheese, Walker's really salted crisps on the top. I mean, look. Sorted. Anybody who is listening to this who doesn't think that sounds delicious, there's something wrong with you or you are dead. There's something so homely Mm. about this. I love the fact that you say this is from America because... 
Americans are obsessed with throwing can of Campbell's yeah, it's soup mad, isn't it? into I know. everything. It's not a thing over here. It's no. sort of. Hang on, this is quite peppery. Do you think it's too peppery? Because uh-huh. I quite like the pepper. I quite like that tiny edge. A little I edge. love the pepper. Yeah, you like it's the pepper? Really, it's really hard to mm. stay you know sophisticated what? The thing is, whilst is it... I've got strings of mozzarella <laughs> hanging out of my mouth. You look great, you know. It's, no, no, no. it's really Moorish, though, as well. You've really got to sort of stop yourself from having the fourth bowl. So you make this for the kids? Yeah, yeah. I think if it's a sort of, if it's a gloomy day, Everyone's a bit low. Yeah. I usually get the, you know, get the call from somewhere across the house. TPP. But uh, yeah. A yeah, rock star's it's, allowed it's to eat carbohydrate. Yeah. Well, you know, I burn a lot of energy, you know, playing the gigs and pacing around on the phone, trying to negotiate things. But you've also <laughs> got to wear very, very skinny trousers. Mm, yeah. Maybe not so much anymore. I don't know how... Skinny jeans okay with sort of forty plus men. <laughs> well, they... I, don't, I don't know the rules anymore. I, I know, sort, but I, what I else are you going to wear? More grown go... up, more grown up trousers. I know, but like really? chinos. Chinos, you can't wear chinos. No, on stage. no, I wouldn't. Your no. gas cooms, you can't. <laughs> chinos on stage. You can't wear. But what I... are you going to go out in? Like you're going to say, get a nice tracksuit. Well, yeah, it's quite. I feel yeah. like we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Thank you for coming over, by the way, all the way to East London. You've come from Oxfordshire, yeah, yeah, where you live with your family, in the very same house that you grew up in. <laughs> so life has come full circle. But take us back to the days when your view of the house was three foot tall and John and Eileen <laughs> ruled the roost. What was family life like back then? Yeah, it was really special. I had a, I had a, had a, a great upbringing, you know, and, and um, very loving, yeah, loving family and stuff, you know, and, and um, lucky to be in a nice part of part of uh, the country, or, you know, whatever, just a, a nice place but my folks found. Tell us about the actual house and the kitchen when you were, like, tiny with your mum and your dad. Did you all sit and eat together? Yeah, well, it was like a little, it was a kind of galley kitchen and and then it went into sort of more of a breakfast room, mm. sort of big kitchen table, and then like a burner, sort of by the table. Four brothers. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. But no, I think it was in it bedlam was, though. Like, think, absolute bedlam. I. I think like, yeah, my mum had a lot to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Was it yeah. noisy? Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah we we I suppose there was a lot of beating each other up probably for the first sort of decade. Yeah. <laughs> Were you like? feral gang all running around the house going mad mm, well you know my mum kept us in line yeah she was a teacher she used to be a teacher oh so uh yeah she used to teach english at a grammar school in birmingham before we moved to oxford all my family are from birmingham originally yeah uh but yeah she was pretty hardcore how did your mum keep you in line because just taking us mother- to church wow <laughs> probably yeah. yeah what which religion Catholic. Church, oh yeah. right, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. So Catholic Churchill, oh, oh, bore. Fu- sort of fucked me up a bit. That, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, just yeah, just things like sort of having to do like uh, confession at school. You know, go to confession at sort of primary school. It's just yeah. so messed up. Yeah. But no, do you know what? It was a very sort of loving and 
calm and, yeah. and relaxed sort of, you know, younger years for me. And um, yeah, you know, just a mum who just loved being a mum and and, yeah. and being in the house and, and, and doing all those, you know, she was an 80s mum, you know, it's that sort of, that vibe. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a lovely time. When you cast your mind back to those days, little boy, what would be this typical weeknight? I'm going to call it tea because I'm northern. It happens at about six o'clock. Mm. What are you eating for tea with you and your three brothers? If it's a weeknight, school night, yeah, probably um, Finder's Crispy Pancakes, oven Classic. chips and peas, maybe. Oh. Uh, I haven't had a Finder's yeah. Crispy Pancake, for, honestly, for you. I don't know if they still make them or well, do them. look, you're talking to an expert on this. <laughs> right. They do still exist. Yeah. You can get them, um, you get them at some of the bigger supermarkets. The problem is they're not like you remember. Oh, no, new recipe. They're just not. I can't work out whether we were smaller, so they seemed bigger. And when you poked them oh. with a fork, they felt more full, full yeah, of right. like this oozing mm-hmm. uh, cheese and ham, wasn't it? Yeah, although I did go for the mince, I like the mince beef yeah, ones. Yeah, the mince ones. <laughs> Whereas now, they do seem like they're a bit dry and disappointing. When right. it, so you give it, a, you, it, it's mostly crumb. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound good. It's like the um, Viennetta, they've changed that as Viennetta well. Viennetta is different, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It hasn't got the architecture thing inside is it's it about, It's about ratios. I was talking to Jules, my wife, the other day about this, about ratios. Mm-hmm. So key, right? Things like pork pie mm-hmm. or a sausage roll. Sausage roll is probably the biggest one mm-hmm. where like the ratio. It's like if you get sort of like artisan sausage rolls at like a farm shop. Yeah. And it's like a huge, massive chunk <laughs> of like all this meat yeah. with a tiny bit of. And then I go down to my kind of like local bakery just for a standard sausage roll yeah and that's right that's that's how you know where it's just the right amount of pastry versus meat yeah it, it's it, and i don't get this kind of artisan sort of like let's just give you a shitload of meat and pop a bit. the more you pay at the farmer's market the more they think that you want like that <laughs> yeah and I, you know i mean like they a- look they look impressive they're kind of posh but you know it's a bit like a scotch egg. I don't know. I think maybe I prefer a co-op scotch egg to <laughs> to is, like is to a like good... a really fancy scotch egg. I don't know. I I I'm not a fan of a scotch egg. <laughs> no. I really I really I find them sinister. They, they are a bit weird. Yeah. I, I, I don't quite. I, I, know, I don't know if they know what they are. They are like a personality. Of, it's like disorder. a joke that just got out of hand. Yeah. Okay. All right. I take it back. <laughs> Because of your dad's work, he spent some years in San Francisco. It must have felt like Technicolor to you, getting there as a mm. little boy. What aspects of Californian culture do you think like really permeated your mind? I think just the sort of the vibe around, I think, you know, getting in the car with my dad and, and the, you know, rock radio being on or whatever yeah. and all of the, probably be Elton John and Fleetwood Mac. and yeah. But I was really young, you know, I was like sort of four, five, six years old. So, Do you remember the food? Were you eating a lot of melted cheese all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't really remember the food too mm. much. I probably, I mean, maybe chocolate chip cookies. It started off, I've yeah. got a bit of an obsession with, I, I'm on a kind of quest to make the perfect chocolate chip cookie. I have been for decades. 
still haven't done it, but um, it's mean, kind of a bit of a thing. If there was any television show that was going to get commissioned six times, 30 minutes, I would watch this one. Yeah. It's just you covered in flour, yeah. standing in your kitchen mm. in, in an apron. Different sugars. Which sugar do I do? It's like you get a different result from caster to dark brown and then light brown soft. <gasps> It's just so many ways of doing it. It's Sometimes all in I the baking think, as well, because you yeah. don't want to give it too, just 30 seconds too much and they're not going to be the same cookie. I know. I was I was kind of distraught recently when I checked into a hotel and they provided some fresh cookies and I had a bite of it. And it was so much nicer than any of mine. <laughs> and I just it just uh-huh. sort of put me back to sort of square one. I was just like, right, okay, start again. We think of rock stars as rebels. I don't think many people would imagine rural Oxfordshire to be a place of great rebellion. How unruly were your teenage years? I think they had their moments, you know. Um, probably one of the most raucous moments we turned into a song that ended up doing quite well for us, uh, Caught by the Fuzz. And, mm. and, um, but I don't, I don't think I was ever real. I was never really into being a kind of troublemaker. But Was there a place you could go and like hang out and just get away from the house? Um, yeah, we'll be next door to our family home. There was a little row of cottages, uh, ah. four cottages in a row. And, and basically, yeah, it was a kind of pretty diverse selection of people lived there. There'd be like a doctor in number one, who's kind of like a cool doctor, yeah. like smoke a bit of weed and stuff. And number two was like a nice, really nice guy who, who was a lot older than us, but he'd sort of had a pretty amazing life and <laughs> just listened to great music and and so in each house, there was sort of a different character, but, but they all loved rock and roll music. And when they first met me and, and Danny and a few of the other boys, we were just all really into music. And so we'd go around there and just have a few smokes and just listen to old yeah. records. And But they were all, they all seemed like really, they all seemed like yeah. in their 50s. Yeah. You know, I was like 15. Yeah. They were probably kind of like late 20s. That's exactly- <laughs> but they just had this kind of vibe of like being like as old as my parents, but they yeah. all liked to have a smoke and they love Frank Zappa and Beefheart and, and all this great music. So, yeah. so important, isn't it? That point where you get to 13, 14, and then you meet people that are into, like about that point for me, I think that was like the Pixies mm. and the Smiths and the Throwing Muses. But to go and meet your people yeah. changes you. Totally. Completely. Yeah. No, exactly. And it, it, I mean, it felt like, our little sort of slice of Laurel Canyon or something yeah. kind of over the way from the house because there was always music going on. And and then Mick, who played in Supergrass, he moved into number four, I think. Um, and so then we'd start rehearsing in his yeah. sort of bedroom and then in, in the living room a bit and stuff. So that was our probably our first sort of rehearsal space. Supergrass are a British institution. And I promise we're going to talk about the life of a rock star at some point, but perhaps even a bigger British institution is The Harvester, where I've heard that you worked. Have you ever been to no. a Harvester before? <laughs> That's what we used to have to say. And then you live no, a little on. smile. Hang on, say it again. Have you ever been to a Harvester before? <laughs> Although I didn't have quite such a low voice back then. It's pretty more like, have you ever been to a Harvester before? Shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, and I used to do the salad bar. I, I used to have to prepare the salad bar. <gasps> So that oh, was a big no. job. That was kind of quite key. I mean, that's the first thing you get faced with when you I when mean, you walk a in. Lot, so, a lot of responsibility. Big pressure on that one, yeah. Right, hang on. 
bacon bits are amazing as well. I used to steal the bacon bits. I used to go into the little fridge and sit with a spoon, crying, eating bacon bits. I didn't really cry. I sometimes yeah. cried. Sometimes cried because it was so horrible there. I couldn't wait to escape. Hold a minute. And the and the little box of flakes that were all cut up flakes that used to go on top of ice creams. I used to get into those. So you were in charge of the salad bar and a, a busy harvester. They're always yeah. busy. And at some points you would be missing off the floor. And well, where yeah, you really like, were, mm-hmm. were in the cupboard eating bacon bits with exactly. a spoon. It was like, Coombs, we need more iceberg. <laughs> so I'd go off and take about 15 minutes to to bring it back. Yeah. And have a little <laughs> feast. Oh, I tell you, my, my eldest wanted to go to the harvester and I just... I did everything I could to sort of not go. Um, and um, yeah, she just talked me around. So I think this was about three years ago. Went into the harvester. It was all right. Actually. Do you still have the okay. uniform? No, I've still got a name tag, but it's not my name. It was um, Steve. I, I can't remember who Steve was, but I ended up with Steve's name tag. So it's got a little harvester logo. Yeah, I have this theory with most people's worst job that they find traumatic to think about they generally have the uniform somewhere because they never went back you know Mm. you don't if you if you've had a job as a teenager and it's driven you utterly mad you generally don't go back to go hello I'd like to hand my notice in you just don't you just go to Ibiza one day and never come back I I walked out yeah Mm. Mm. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, it's while you're working at the Harvester that you met Mick Quinn and eventually you form a band together along with Danny Goffey, called yourself Supergrass. And in 1995, you released your debut album, Aisha Coco. It was your record label's fastest selling debut album since a little band called The Beatles. How quickly did life change? And in what ways exactly? Just out of the house a lot more, you know, mm-hmm. and um, traveling, yeah. you know, just, just sort of, yeah, yeah, there was, there was no sort of major kind of transformation in, in our lives. It was very much sort of, we were already kind of up and running and doing shows, but it just, yes. everything just sort of stepped up so that we could, you know, we could go 
further afield, you know. So we'd actually go up to Scotland <laughs> instead of, you know, just up to London to do a tiny little club. So, yeah, just things would sort of, were just starting to get bigger. And um, So the, yeah. do you remember the where you were when you find out that it's gone to number one? No, I don't know. It's weird. Do you I remember any remember. of that time? <sighs> you know, very little, but, well, no, yeah, I mean, I remember bits and pieces, but. It's funny, No, those it? sort of yeah. special moments, it's kind of frustrating sometimes not to remember, yeah, where you were. How old Actually, are you? I do remember hearing the first time we were on radio. We were in Southampton's. We were playing a gig at the Joiners, supporting someone. Yeah. And um, we went for um, a bit of food at a cafe, and it just our song came on the radio. And it's the first time that I'd ever that had ever happened. Yeah. And we just all jumped up and started going crazy and probably really embarrassing. But um, I've asked this to a few people that suddenly came into money, what is the most ridiculously rock and roll thing that you've ever bought with a cheque that's arrived? <laughs> I bought a BMW 840 when I was about 18, which is a bit stupid. Is it gorgeous though? It was, it was amazing, yeah. It's a brilliant car. I mean, they're, well, they're kind of obscene cars. It's a bit stupid, but it's like 4.4 litre engine. Um, yeah. Sporty BMW, but I was yeah eighteen years old and in a band. I was a new driver and in a rock and roll band. I think my insurance was about five grand a year. <laughs> How long before you crashed it? No crash. I didn't crash it. I'm a, I'm a good I'm a good driver. <laughs> yeah, I no I didn't I didn't no I didn't have I didn't have many pranks. I was okay, but I did like to drive fast. What happened to Oxfordshire? Did you move away? No, no, I I didn't move away straight away. No. Um, now we lived we lived in a house together like three years, two three years. All of like, you, with, uh, apart from Mick, actually. Yeah, I think me, Danny, and Rob, um, and my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, but yeah. now my wife. Uh, yeah, so there was about six of us in this house. Yeah, that was in Cowley Road um, in Oxford. Who was cooking at Cowley Road? Um, mm, yeah, no. there was a mm, there really many of us actually. I think Dom, our friend Dom, who ended up shooting some of the videos uh, with Nick Goffey, some of the Supergrass videos, he lived there for a bit. He was good, he's always been a good cook, but um, yeah, I think maybe he might have been away for a while mm. during this one period, and um, it got so bad that I think it's somebody sealed up the kitchen door with gaffer tape. Until, just, until Dom got back. Was it yeah. just, what, because it was just absolute... Yeah, I don't deep. think anyone could face it. It was really disgusting. Is that how it works, though, if you just seal a door up with gaffer tape? I'm, I was away on Did tour. I got that? back and thought, what, what's happened? I thought maybe it was a crime scene or something. The sink just kind of overflowing. The supergrass train rolls on. It's the mid-90s. The country is in full cool Britannia mode. New Labour... Young British artists, Euro 96. It was a real moment. Mm. What on earth was it like being one of the main characters in this huge drama? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just really exciting to be on top of the pops and stuff. And I think that maybe maybe a slightly sort of miss elements of of that kind of easy barometer that that we had back then of... Mm. You know, you get called to go on top of the pops. It's like, you know, you ring mum up and and it's like, that's it. We've done it. We're, we're there. We've made it. And, and now there doesn't seem to be a, I don't know where the barometer is for if you, if you've, if, you know, yeah. At what point do you call your mum up and say, I've done it? Were you part of the whole Camden life at that point? 
I was living um, in Camden about that. No, point. no, because I didn't. I stayed in Oxford and then went to Brighton, so I never, I never did London. We had a place in Kemptown on the seafront, and that was a party. That was a party house. It was definitely a, you know, it was like a maisonette apartment thing. So, like a flat on three floors. Oh, it was you one were of my favourite. One of my favourite places. It was. It was just so cool. Nineteen ninety-seven Kemptown, rockstar parties. Did Steve Coogan come round? He didn't, no. I ran into, no, no. I used to run into Kevin Rowland in the corner shop quite a lot. It was a bit like sort of Stella Street, uh, kind of just meet sort of the odd person in the corner shop because there was a few, I can't remember who else was living in the, on that square at the time. But yeah, I had quite a funny one where we went to the comedy place in Brighton to watch a show. A very young Stephen Merchant was performing. And he was really good that night. He was really, really funny. And then we met and hung out a bit afterwards and I invited him back to my flat. So yeah, he came, he came back and um, got me a drink. And then I decided I'd go make get like a cheese board. So I brought up a cheese board with loads of cheeses and stuff. I brought it up and went, do you want some cheese? Like that. And then we had a few sort of weird conversations and stuff. And then I think he was doing an interview a couple of months later and he referred to coming to my house and I offered him some cheese and, and how weird it was. <laughs> it was a good night, but, but I don't know why I did the cheese board. I think it was like a nervous, I'm like a nervous cheese board guy. <laughs> how did you say it when you brought the cheese out? Cheese board? <laughs> like a big spliff hanging out my mouth. You toured the world with Supergrass from America to Australia, Moscow to Munich. So you come from your days of eating Finder's crispy pancakes three times a week to this. This must have been a culinary awakening. At times it was, yeah. Yeah. You still have to deal with the whole kind of touring life of of, um, grabbing bits when you can or or some sort of buyout. You know, the venue give you sort of five euros to go and get something and you've got 45 minutes before you're on stage. So there isn't necessarily always the time, you know, it wasn't kind of fine dining restaurants as no. we were traveling the world. But yeah, definitely kind of different countries with, um, it was, yeah, totally eye-opening. I think first time I went to Tokyo, um, it was just incredible. And I think Tokyo, especially Tokyo in 95 was really kind of unusual still. It was kind of, I think it's become more, you know, more westernized now. It's more, there's more things that are familiar for people. Yeah if they travelled to Japan, but uh, at the time it was really alien and, and, you know, you just didn't recognise anything. You know, the only thing that was familiar was the kind of golden arches of yeah. McDonald's and to make you feel like something that reminded you of home. But um, yeah. some amazing meals we went out for. Quite often me and Danny would just disappear and, and go into the go into town and, and just see what we could see. That was always great in Tokyo because you'd have really severe jet lag. Yeah. And then you'd go out and have a couple of drinks and then it would start to feel like almost like you're on acid or something. It was yeah. kind of um had some pretty memorable sort of, you know, arrival days in, in, in places like Tokyo and You must have got mobbed when you went out into Tokyo at that point. Yeah. Pretty crazy sort of vans kind of driving after you and yeah, there was some mad moments. I know that life on the road has been beset with fans. But before you were a rock star, you met the woman who became your wife. I don't think I'm 
speaking out of turn when I say that marriages of touring rock stars, they can be very short-lived. But you've been together for 25 years. Tell me about meeting Jules. Actually, it's our 10th wedding anniversary soon as well. Mm. Married, been married for 10. Yeah, we, uh, we were just um, part of the same friendship group, I suppose, when I was like 15. Um, she was going out with another guy and um, he was friends with a friend of ours who worked with the band and did some guitar teching and some roadieing. And so we'd often all end up in the same van going to some gig. And yeah, I always fancied Josie, but I just, you know, she was kind yeah. of older than me and going out with someone else. And How much older? Four years older. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, but we just, you know, we kind of knew each other for, for a few years and then just things kind of worked out that way and their, and their relationship stopped and, um, yeah, but I mean, did they stop because you really fancied each other? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I, I don't know. Do you know, I don't know. I don't know how much of it he got wind of, whether he got wind of that or whether I kind of, how subtle I was. But no, I think, um, <laughs> I think there's, their relationship ended pretty organically, which is kind of cool. So um, that was my in. And, um, yeah. And you never went out after that? Yeah. And you're still in? Yeah. You once said that what kept you on the straight and narrow on tour was thinking... What if my mum heard I was being a dick in any sort of way? Your mum passed away in 2003 when you were 27. Mm. What influence does she have on you? Oh, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that <laughs> question, but it's it's just too too big. I think um, she was kind of everything, you know? Mm. She was sort of my you know, biggest fan. She was there to comfort. She was strong. You know, she was she was a fiercely strong, independent woman. Mm. You know, I think growing up with that, and um, especially being in a house with four, with three other brothers, mm. she had a you know an enormous impact on my life. And uh, yeah, and and just uh, just a huge hole was left. Really, it's kind of it's something I've never really. It's strange, really. You don't you don't think I don't think I really maybe addressed enough near the time I was twenty seven when she died, and I just had a daughter. Uh, that same year she was three months old I think when my mum died so it was a really kind of mad strange year and um but I don't think I ever really addressed it mm. properly you know I didn't, I didn't do therapy I didn't go to therapy or, or do anything like that straight back to work yeah exactly and I don't really know how if that helped you know because that sort of pain is it's really you know it still doesn't really go away but but then I've since sort of I don't know I've learned to realize that it's I, I think you know, when it hits me, I'm kind of quite glad when it sort of hits me. Yeah. I think it's sort of, you know, I'm quite happy that, that I can still feel that pain to a degree mm. and maybe not wallow in it quite so much and or not let it bring me right down, but yeah. just recognise it. And, and it's, it's, it's my reminder. It's like a sort of, I think it's worth embracing that pain. You live in the same house that... Yeah. But that, I, I find that really interesting because to me that is that is testament to how much you had a lovely life with your parents because if you hadn't you wouldn't have fought to keep that house no totally it was a it was a tricky one because at the time I didn't really necessarily want to to buy it but I didn't my dad wanted to let it go you know because we'd all there was no one in there anymore it was just him and uh, it was more a case of just not wanting anyone else to have it. Yes. <laughs> so I just couldn't yes. really deal with that that idea of someone else having it. So it was a very spur of the moment sort of 
Is the sentimental still thing in the same place? No, no. Is, is actually, the kitchen still no, in the same it's place? No, no. We did quite a lot, actually. We did quite a lot. We did enough to 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 make it our own, but keep to keep the the, the flow and yeah. the energy of the house because it was a, it, again, it was a party house. That's what I remember from that house. Yeah, it was just like family, extended family. You know, twenty, thirty people there at Easter, Christmas, birthdays. Um, do you still do the big Christmas there? No, we do a big New Year, which is what my folks used to do as well. They used to do a big New Year, like 80, 90 people in the house. And yeah. I remember my dad taking the doors off, <laughs> like the rooms. I was thinking, why are you taking the door? It was a weird, and it's still now, I don't really, I get it. Maybe to, it's nice for people to walk through rooms, but it's a bit extravagant, taking the doors off. <laughs> That's it's like, Dad, where's the dad. living room door gone? Well, <laughs> just frees up space for people to walk through. In 2010, while working on the seventh Supercross album, the band split, you go it alone, and you're now about to release your fourth solo album, Turn the Car Around. You went from one of the biggest bands in the world to being solo artists, working in the studio, alone, going on tour, slogging the promo trail, just your name is suddenly on the billing. To what extent do you enjoy being a one-man band? Um, I'm, I'm having a great time. I'm having the time of my life. You know, the last 10 years has been, um, yeah, it's been pretty wild. I think it's, uh, I didn't know that I wanted to kind of do the solo thing necessarily. I think we stopped the band and, you know, I got to about six months later and, and, and just happened to have some songs mm-hmm. hanging around. And that's where the first record came from. But it wasn't until Matador, I think, that I didn't, it wasn't until Matador that I got into my flow, I think, and I, I realised what I kind of, um, kind of what I wanted to say or, or how I wanted things to sound. And, and yeah, got a great live band together, uh, most of which have become like really yeah. great, great friends. Yeah, the vibe is just great. I'm loving it. Feels like you're in a really calm place now, family life, rural living. You've gone from growing up in a very boy-heavy environment to being completely outnumbered by three women, Jules and your two daughters. I've got Dexter and Georgie, though. Ah. My cat and dog. Actually, yeah, they're okay. They're they're okay. They don't really help me out at all, though. (laughs) In fact, they're a nightmare. You had no role model in bringing up girls. Mm. What kind of dad have you been to your daughters? I don't know. I think that's something for them to answer, but... um, I was saying to, to saying to one of them the other day, or if I was saying, I was saying to Julesy that I was really useless because I, I'm, I'm quite hard at being strict. I, yeah. I can't really be strict. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I hope I'm sort of on their level, but I think sometimes it can be a bit tricky to sort of actually, maybe I'm not the most reliable because of that, because I'm a bit like, well, they said that, shut up. You know? <laughs> or just kind of not very, you know, I, I don't like to sort of tell them off too yeah. much or... I hope I'm always, there, you know, just always there, you know, yeah. always there for them. And although I don't know if I, me and my daughter, me and my 19-year-old have been playing Grand Theft Auto a lot lately. That's not very good, is it? That's not very good parenting. Isn't it really bad, that game? Anyway, we're quite enjoying it. Apart from TPB, if I was coming around for dinner tonight, what is Gaz Coombs making me? Do I want to impress you? 
No, like or what just, I'm getting is I'm just getting what you, everyone what, else happening. is getting. Well, you're not even going to make any. Do you know what changes? we did last night? Actually, we went out last night to do a bit of shopping for the for the kids to get them a few things, and uh, we were going to eat out, and then we decided not to. So on the way back, we went and bought some oven chips and a tin of tuna, and then made um, tuna melts with oven chips and tender stem broccoli. So that that might maybe that's a bit of a midweek like evening that's, meal. Do you know? I'll, it's a bit my trashy. Mouth's watering. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the oven chips, and then behind there was the mayo in that tuna as well. Yeah, right? yeah, Obviously. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. But, um, we keep it quite simple, but but then at times like to do you know do good stuff. You know, make a nice fish curry or a nice ramen. The kids love the ramens as well. Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Look, my final question mm. is probably the most important one. As we said, your new album, Turn the Car Around, is out in January. And what I want to know, Gaz, is when was the last time you had to turn the car around and why? <laughs> probably uh, when I forgot my wallet the other day when I went down to the co-op. <laughs> You go in and you have that really awkward moment where you kind of get everything on the on the till. You go, oh no! Listen, can you just hold it there for a minute while I? Yeah. I mean, you must be the most famous person that goes in that shop. Can you not get it on tick? No, I haven't really got that. We haven't really bonded like that yet. And there's always someone different. And it depends who you get. It depends who you get. I've got my. I've got a couple of little mate. A couple of mates who are nice there. Who kind of are very nice to me. But it depends. You might get the grumpy one. So you can't say, look. It's me from Supergrass. Can I just have my beans? I'm good for it. Yeah. Yeah. I might try. I'll try it next time. <laughs> Gaz Coombs, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank, oh, thank you, you Grace. for comfort eating with me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Cheers. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Jack Claremont. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Kakutier. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review and you can follow or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag comforteatingpod to get in touch about the podcast or share your own comfort eating delights. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 